contrastingly, if it's awful conditions or freezing cold or really windy, it can just be like pushing a boulder up a hill and it's just, you're just like, why am I here? And it's just trying it's to- It's only 8.30. Yeah, well, you're almost finished by the time it's okay. 8.30. So you start at 7.30 and we get we finish between like 9 and 9.15. Right. And then after that, it's really important to refuel properly after the session. So um, I know yeah, you talked a little diet. Yeah. yeah, so I know you talked a little bit about the ketogenic diet, but rowing right. training is like quite a mixture of high intensity and um, low in, lower intensity stuff, as well as a lot of strength training. It's it's a pretty unique, unique sport in that you've got to have a really big endurance base, but also quite a big power component right. as well, um, rather than being like a pure power or a pure endurance athlete. So um, I definitely ate what I would call like a normal mi- mixed diet. Um, and because I was uh, doing lightweight rowing, I had to like just be quite mindful and aware of what calories I was putting in my body and making sure that I gave my body like enough carbohydrate to rebuild my glycogen stores and enough protein to make sure that I maintained lean mass. And um, the nutritionist was very much of the, the school of thought that fat was something that should be minimized. Hmm. And I actually ended up in a bit of an interesting position where I was at least as educated in some aspects of nutrition and some aspects of physiology as right. the physiologists and the nutritionists. Obviously they were world leaders in terms of applied nutrition and physiology, but I had kind of my own ideas and one, and it, I think informed by our, formed by my, my own thesis. research. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I think it was pretty unique that I was able to go and sit with them and like chew over the different ideas. Like, why can I not, like do this with my diet or what do you think about if I did this? So or... what was that, what was that standard protocol for, from the, from their side? Was it just like a, a for high... nutrition? Yeah. It was sort of like post session, like 1.2 grams of carbs per, per kilo body weight, like, okay. like carb, not overload, but de- like pretty uh, heavy on carbon, pretty heavy. Yeah. On, but on they would protein. definitely steer us towards like more, um, like less processed foods and the right. food we had an absolutely fantastic chef on site who would just get me like so we'd talk about recipes i get so excited about what he was going to cook and taking it home and trying it myself and he's um he's been like a real inspiration to me like uh, with my own diet the, the sort <laughs> okay. of recipes that he'd produce yeah. out and feed like the athletes and i think if you enjoy your food you get a lot more out of it so right. um it definitely wasn't too um too keto the diet right it was much more uh geared towards you're like uh, providing carbohydrate for yeah. exercise. I, mean, I think that's an interesting point because I think that uh, like I, I ne- never want to be ultra dogmatic and for like keto is best for everyone for every single use case. Like it's just not, right? Yeah. I think for a lot of weight loss and potentially for, uh, you know, keto is interesting, right? Like I think we have to be thoughtful around the trade-off. Yeah. I think, yes, ketogenic diets are good in, in some aspects because you're taking 90% fat, like, you're reducing insulin response because you're not taking protein, you're not taking carbohydrates. That also means you're having potentially elevated cholesterol, elevated free fatty acids, which can backfire in some use cases as, as well. The good thing... Um, so yeah, I'm curious from your perspective, like what, you know, what would you recommend uh, in a, a, uh, people for uh, to do keto for? What use cases would those look like versus like a normal blended diet or a standard diet? Like, I what think, would you, like, if you were to characterize in, yeah. in broad buckets, how would you describe different, like, macronutrient blends for certain use cases? Yeah, I mean, that's quite quite a big and complicated yeah. question. Um, I think that the sort of people that would benefit from experimenting, at least with a ketogenic diet, are the people that are already on their way to insulin resistance and who have not, who have been 
um, frequently during the day and to high levels consuming carbohydrate to the point where they're pushing their body towards like having a metabolic syndrome and aka diabetes yeah you know like and there's a really interesting um, school of thought coming around at the moment uh, about defining the terms that we talk about obesity so um up until now we talk about people being overweight or underweight when actually weight isn't really the important thing this is um research or um a school of thought that's this school of thought is now being put forward by phil maffetone and paul larson they're suggesting that we rather than talk about whether people are overweight or underweight we talk about them being over fat or under fat because Mm. it's not bmi um body mass index doesn't take into account whether you've got so Lean, some uh, sometimes athletes have really high BMI and they're overweight but they're, they're just all muscle yeah exactly muscle, yeah. so they're trying to change the language that we talk about um you know size and health right, right? so if you're over fat you might not look be or be overweight but right. you might have you know visceral adiposity visceral right. fat that's causing you like metabolic damage yep. um and not be overweight yeah i mean so, i think part of part of that reason is because it's simple to do height and weight yeah but like yeah i mean we do dexa scans to tell our body fat percentage that actually measures our yeah visceral adipose tissue yeah so yeah i mean i think those so i think for, for sure. people who who are on that sort of spectrum like metabolic syndrome type thing the keto diet is trying to go on that for six months or a right. year or you know or even long term that would be really useful for them because it would involve a lot of education and addressing a lot of the eating patterns that they right. may have developed that would be uh, detrimental to their health right. so i think that's one use case where it's got like an instant application that could really could really be transformative and even if they experiment with it for six weeks or we'd probably want to go a little bit longer than that to give yourself some time to adapt but even if you do it for six months and you really don't get on with it you might find that your some of the unhelpful eating patterns have changed. And so um, I have like family members who had like blood tests that were like perhaps a little bit wor- worrying. They talked to me about the diet and I was like, well, you know, read Tim Noakes's book, The Real Meal Revolution, or like read up a little bit about this like lower carbohydrate way of living. And now they, they experimented going properly keto probably didn't need to in such an extreme way because they weren't they're not like as big as a house and right. and eating that unhealthy probably but, keto is a 90 percent fat yeah they like, did like they had a out, had like an experiment but it was probably a bit much right so now but now their eating patterns are much more like mindful and probably a lot less um you know unhealthy than right. they were before so even a period of experimentation with a diet like that can change your habits and so you may for example if you wanted to be more thoughtful now at least yeah exactly. even then that's like probably correlated towards or a causative towards like healthier lifestyle. Ex- exactly right. so i think it's um it's a useful tool and some people will get on really well with it and stay right. on it long term and some people might experiment come off but have come out with some right. like with some plus points from having yeah. done it um I think there's an interesting school of thought about whether it would be useful for endurance athletes or not. Right. The research is really inconclusive. So even as recently as like this Christmas, a really big study was published that um, showed that being a following a low carb diet didn't decrease performance, but didn't improve performance. Right. So um, there's like people going backwards and forwards and it's quite a controversy in the sport world at the moment because there's a lot of athletes um, who come out with anecdotal evidence being like, yeah, I've gone keto, ultra endurance athletes this right. is. So athletes that compete in events that last many hours long. Right. Um, they Some of them come out with stories being like, I've gone on keto, it's really, really made a difference. And then some athletes try it and just can't get on with it. Yep. So again, it's a case of like looking at your own individual use case. Um, the science is inconclusive at the moment. Right. So off the back of this study, 
um, that was done in race walkers by uh, Louise Burke's lab in Australia. They're now running a second one, I believe, where they're looking at low carb diet and then refeeding with carbohydrate. So right before. Might, exactly. So, so everything double. is just like way more subtle than we know right now. Right. This field is um, rapidly exploding. And then you've kind of got the potential of having exogenous ketones added in on That's top of that as well. That's what I was going to ask you. Well, I you think know, like, your, your like, research, which is... Uh, you're on a normal diet and then you or, or or you basically turbo load with both exogenous ketones and glucose yeah and that has shown to actually improve performance so that's the so I love really yeah hear about the exciting research that you guys have been doing yeah so we published a paper last summer and it was kind of like the culmination of all of the work that i've been uh you know i definitely was not the superstar researcher here like pete cox really spearheaded that and we had a massive team of people kind of collaborating helping to collect right. the data and analyze it um but it, I was a, I was a part of it. Um, it was a fantastic story where we just did loads and loads of exercise tests with athletes uh, with different combinations of either ketone on exogenous ketones by themselves compared with carbohydrate, and we saw that ketones and carbs were both kind of equivalent in terms of performance. Um, and then we saw well, actually to kind of take one step back, the first thing we did was give ketones and show that if you exercise, the body burns ketones. So. Um, that was kind of interesting because some of the previous research had suggested that um, exogenous ketones weren't be bur being burnt as much during exercise, but right. a lot of that work was done in people who were starved, so they didn't have replete muscle glycogen as whereas when we were giving it when athletes were fully fed we were seeing that athletes were able to use ketones as a fuel right. then we showed that ketones and carbohydrates were kind of equivalent and we went a lot deeper into the metabolism that was kind of going on in the cells we did this technique called metabolomics which is where you take a muscle sample and then analyze all of the different metabolites going on and it's not um it's a bit of a snapshot, so it doesn't necessarily give you like flux through different pathways and things like that, but it kind of gives you some indications of what's going on inside inside your muscle when you're exercising, when you've got right. ketones. And there's lots of different things that are happening that are potentially like benefiting performance. So key, these exogenous ketones were slowing the body's need to use glycogen. So glycogen use when the, the body had ketones was, was lower. So that potentially, we didn't measure... Um, sort of like subsequent performance after these trials but in theory you're then like burning less glycogen and you've got it left over for either if the race was to go on for longer or if you were to going to do a repeat performance after a couple of hours it kind of the recovery is faster but potentially right. your recovery could be faster um the other thing we saw was that the amount of branch chain amino acids in the muscle was lower when ketones were also kind of in the mix as well and that's all of these two things that we've just discussed that kind of uh, is linked to ketones evolutionary role as the like substrate to the for the body to use when it's starving so if you were starving you wouldn't want your pro muscle protein to be broken down because if your muscle protein breaks down you die pretty pretty quickly and also you want to hold on to any carbohydrate reserves you've got for right. as long as possible so um these two things like fitted really nicely with the evolutionary story that kind of goes with ketone bodies and then sort of the final study that was published there uh, in our paper was looking at performance so we kind of had all these hints of metabolism it's interesting another thing that we saw was that blood lactate levels was lo were lower and that was kind of a bit of an indication that um the body was chewing through carbohydrates yeah. slower it sort of kind of went with the glycogen story but um it's also uh, interesting from a practical perspective because lactic acid is what makes your muscles throughout the work there's some really interesting data about like lactic acid and recovery right. it's like it used to be like really really red that that was the case and now right. i think um it's also, people... also it's more subtle then yeah okay. like um so i think when they do whole body experiments lactic acid can um build up definitely can impair like 
performance and that's why so as a member of the rowing team I always really really struggled with this clearing lactate after a big um, session so mm. we would finish our sessions they would take a ear pricks blood sample and measure the lactate and I used to produce a lot of lactate have very high blood lactate levels even sometimes like 20 millimolar mm. which is which is very high if they picked you up with that on the street they'd probably think you're about to die let's just say and then we would have to do rec- active recovery so they yeah. would make us go and like um, sit on a bicycle or walk or run and or like get in a cold shower yeah. yeah things to try and like make the muscles clear it out right. because because in a whole body lactic acid is not the sort of thing you do want sitting around right and um, some people were really good at getting rid of it and so after an hour I would come back and I'd still be at like seven or eight millimoles and they'd send me off and I'd have to go again and um, it used to really upset me because I used to give people um, sweeties if they got their blood lactate below two and I never ever could get my blood lactate back, back below two anyway that's an aside right. so in a whole body lactic acid um, potentially a bad thing but when they've done experiments in cells they've actually seen that it's not the lactic acid itself that's um, the harmful thing that it might be other things that are kind of Hmm. consequence of exercise. I mean, this is something that I need to do a little bit more reading about myself and tease out the subtleties because I think it's... um well, it's definitely a sign that you're not burning through carbs as heavily. It's definitely yeah. a sign that you're doing yeah less glycolysis. Right. So that's that's um, the interesting kind of. But before we were about to tease that aside, you're about to say that like the, in- the last interesting result was the time performance. So right. we we've got glycogen sparing and a decreased protein breakdown and lower levels of blood lactate, and all of this kind of converged to, to mean that the body could. Uh, perform better so the athletes did 60 minutes of a fixed intensity work and this was all standardized to their own like individual maximum work um that it was quite a high intensity work it's so the cycling it's like yeah cycling on a uh, indoor bike right and these are all like former olympians oh uh, like pretty elite level athletes right. um not necessarily not all of them olympians but like we had like level. we had a pretty thorough screening process and we right. always tried to, to recruit the best people and the most reliable people that you can because if you're doing a science study where you're going to take invasive muscle biopsies and do expensive analysis and use expensive keto nester you need to have people that you trust are repeatable and um, the more uh, higher level an athlete is statistically, it's been shown the more repeatable they are of performances. So right. if you had like lower level athletes and you were getting improvements in performance, a certain like amount. Like me, it's like a, certain like like a good that, day for me, like yeah. I'm probably varying like 10%. Yeah, right? exactly. Just like, oh, I feel really good today. Exactly. Right. So we wanted people, I know I know as an athlete that I could reliably put out X, Y, or Z performance. And right. so you want people that that can do that for right. you. So yes, we did have like really good level athletes and it was a real... Um, a real fun study to run when you work with people who are kind of like like-minded like that right. but um so these athletes they do 60 minutes at a fixed intensity and then we say 30 minutes as hard as you can and record how far they can go and i mean like it was pretty impressive to watch how hard i mean i, I can push myself hard but it's a bit weird standing in an air-conditioned lab watching someone work out as hard as they can you know it's a it's a interesting experience as an athlete and as a researcher right. kind of watching people bury themselves like that but anyway, so this 30 minute, the results of this 30 minute time trial were that when you take ketones along with the current gold standard of carbohydrate, which is about 72 grams a minute of um, multiple transportable carbohydrates so that the body can take them up. Right. Um, when you do that, you get about to two to three percent improvement in that time trial performance. Which is massive. So that's, it, that's like nothing like I think just to give context, two to three percent improvements on any time is like olympic or world championship yeah. and like placing 10th so or as part of my thesis i actually asked athletes like what um the questions that i asked them were what would you do on a good day and what would you do on like your best day to try yeah. and tease out like what what people thought was meaningful right. and for elite athletes about two percent is like 
what they expect to really to really be able to maximize their potential is a sort of like an achievable number for them so actually the results of our studies married up really nicely with the sort of improvement that elite athletes so can, can legitimately make so you're basically like hey i can i can make this you, ketone ester you will be your best i can make you day. i can make you metabolically the best version of yourself Right. The really cool thing is that athletes are really well placed to use ketone bodies because um, ketone bodies are taken up into the cells through something called a monocarboxylate transporter. Right. And that's the same transporter that also transports lactate. So if you do lots of exercise training and repeatedly expose your body to lactate, their body upregulates the expression of the monocarboxylate transporter. And that means that the muscles are really, really primed to like suck in ketones. Right. But another interesting thing is that we could see differences in, in people's metabolism um, of the ketones. So people who are more sprinters, uh, didn't necessarily burn through it as much as people who are more endurance-based athletes and more like aerobic athletes. Right. So there's sort of like subtle differences in people. And we, one thing question that we were trying to answer was the difference between like fast twitch muscle fiber. So from the muscle biopsies, like right. fast twitch fibers versus slow twitch fibers, which ones are right. using ketones, things like that. But none of that's sort of uh, completed and published yet. Yeah, so. I mean, a lot of work still to be done. So what exactly is a ketone ester? I mean, I think we obviously... Well, you know, just from the beginning of our conversation, you can endogenously or have your bodies naturally produce some low levels of ketones. So what exactly is a ketone ester? And like, you know, how would one be able to like get those kind of, you know, levels of performance that you're seeing in your data? Yeah, so um, a ketone ester is like a, um, a ketone compound that's made uh, synthetically by chemists in a lab, and then you can ingest it in some way. So historically, people have used infusions or um, fed it through a tube, but now yeah. we were able to give it in a drink, and that was a real like technological breakthrough, making it in a form that was palatable, that wasn't so revolting that people just right. vomited it straight back up, like a drink that athletes can take um, or the general public can take that will raise ketone levels. Right. And so the ester that we were looking at was um, butandiol, which is an alcohol bound to beta-hydroxybutyrate, which um, your listeners might know is one of the three ketone bodies that's seen in the body. Yep. So when you drink it, the gut breaks up, so your body can take in both parts separately. The liver is able to convert the butandiol into beta-hydroxybutyrate. So from this one molecule, you end up with two uh, molecules of beta-hydroxybutyrate. Right. And what's unique about the ester that I was working on as well is that it is racemically pure, and that means that it only gives the body the D form of hydroxybutyrate. Right. So um, just to uh, fill in the background there, hydroxybutyrate is a compound that has this property called optical isomerism. And that means that even though the structure of it's the same, it's very subtly different, like your left hand and your right, right hand. Right, the hand and yeah. this thing. So you've got, on each hand you've got five fingers, but the hands don't overlay on top of one another. And it's the same with hydroxybutyrate. You've got four carbons, but if you tried to overlay D-hydroxybutyrate onto L-hydroxybutyrate. They're mirror images. Yeah, they're mirror yeah. images of one another. Yep. Our body normally only produces D um, and all of the assays that we use in the little handheld ketometers, that's all specific to D-hydroxybutyrate. Right. And that's why we focused on using that in this ketone ester. Right. You know, I say we as if I helped develop it. I've really only been working on it. That's why That's why when they developed the ester, they decided that they were going to focus on D forms. And that's why what to this point has made them very expensive to produce and right. like, difficult to produce. Yeah, because I think we've all, you know, as, as biohackers, we've been looking at different exogenous ketones. And it seems like nothing that's available today uh, actually works. And, and, and all the all the data you guys have shown is like specifically on that ketone ester yes. that's purely D isomers. So when we give people a drink of ketone ester within half an hour or an hour, their levels could 
well, the first thing is it's really, really dose responsive. So if we give a little bit, we'll get a small rise in blood right. ketones. Um, the second thing is that then you can take people up really quite high. So if you give them a drink within a bigger drink within an hour, they could be at like six or seven millimoles, which is which insane. is which is probably the equivalent. Well, to maybe like 20, 30 days of starvation. Or, and I don't think you'd really ever get that high following a ketogenic diet. Right. Like up well, to, I know for myself, when I was doing a seven-day fast, I ended it at 5.2. So that's I got that's pretty, pretty high. high. Yeah. I got pretty high. But basically... This, but that's regardless. fasting as well. That's not following a ketogenic diet. That that's just, like a total that is, fast. That is not eating for 168 hours. Yeah. I suppose the difficult thing and like where more research needs to be directed is understanding I mean, like what, what level is needed for each application, right? Right. So... Um, for athletes, we did a lot of our studies where we were trying to get people, you know, maybe between two to five, right. like three to five, kind of not not super high. But um, and certainly we wouldn't want to give people more ketone ester and take them over, say, eight right. millimoles, because that seems to be like the natural point where your body plateaus. And if you keep on giving it, then um, you can end up maybe with right. a keto acidosis, perhaps even right. like when diabetics get up to sort of 20, they have acidosis and that's not desirable. But we think that sort of with a keto nester anywhere up to eight, that's there's, you know, that our, our body is built to live with ketones up to right. eight. And so that that should be in theory. All right. Um, but then even at low levels of ketones with my own work, which mainly focused on different exogenous ketone supplements at rest, um, you get very um you can you must like max out some of the body's responses to ketones at really really low levels right. so um i studied th three or four different doses of ketone ester and saw the same amount of say the blood glucose fell because actually so if you keep giving ketone ester you're not going to drop blood glucose more and more and more it kind of reaches like a physiological kind of floor right and then that's the same whether you give um your small medium or large ketone ester mm. drink or if right. you give a ketone ester or a ketone salt um and then it was the same with levels of blood fat as well. So when you gave a ketone ester drink, ketones act as a natural signal to right. um, reduce the release of fat from your fat right. stores. That's one way that they regulate their own production. And But that happened to the same sort of level, whether or not you gave a small, medium or large ketone drink. It wasn't sort of... Uh, so maybe the maximal physiological effect for that sort of thing is really quite low. Um, so I think there's more research that needs to be done to understand, you know, um, where the threshold is and so ketogenic diets have been used as an anti-seizure treatment for example um, I don't think because people haven't had the flexibility to dose to specific levels with exogenous ketones we don't know whether anti-seizure effects would happen at 0.5 millimole 1 millimole right. or whether you need to be up at 2 so um, that's all stuff that still needs to be answered I mean it sounds like it's just a lot of potential therapeutic use cases because I know that lot, like yeah. there's already a, a school of thought around using ketogenic diet to, as an adjunct for Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity, cancer. all these metabolic syndromes, right? Cancer, Thomas yeah. Siegfried, who will be on our podcast in a month. I'm excited to hear that one. Yeah. So I think it's like, yeah, like there's like clearly a lot of interesting potential here, right? Because yeah. like you're saying to me that you can do these like ketogenic diets that are very hard to maintain or just like you're not getting to high enough beta hydroxybutyrate levels. I can just give you this drink for it. I can just tune exactly the level of beta hydroxybutyrate yes. for potential performance benefits on, on the on, on, on the playing field or as a therapeutic if I have like a disease that I want to be like as, use as an adjunct. Yeah. So I think what 
personally what I feel is like a good thing about the ketone esters compared with the other exogenous ketone supplements. Because you mentioned like ketone salt, yeah. yeah so could you uh, help like explain a little bit all, all the different you know exogenous ketones? So at the moment, um, other than looking at it as something that's a ketogenic precursor like right. medium chain triglycerides, so some people MCT take or MCT or. or some people take that, and that um, is a fat that the body can re really readily converts into ketones. But if you talk talking about giving BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate by itself, the options are either esters like we've discussed, and there are different esters out there at the moment being being studied, or a are salt. They, are they on the market yet? No, nothing's on the market okay. yet. So um, I think there are some people doing, other other labs doing trials in humans, but it's uh, you know not, not available. We should, we should talk after the podcast about how do we bring this to market faster. Yeah, because I mean, whilst there's still a lot of research to be done i think it can only be ex accelerated by collaborating as widely as as possible with mds and um, sports teams and getting feedback and because at the moment ketones are you know uh, the ketone ester that we're working on is generally recognized as safe it's fda approved so it's a, it's a food stuff but i mean something that that we could talk about later is the difference between like food and drug and like how there's this divide between medicine and like right. nutrition, you know, like it's, it's a hot, it's, there's some interesting issues that's raised by something right. like this. But so, uh, anyway, so basically ketone, esters, ketone esters, really, really compelling data. This is where all your research is on. This is where a lot of the compelling data is on. This is where my, my own personal background right. is like focused and then, but it's not commercially available, but not available yet. yet. And then the other form of exogenous ketones that's available to buy at the moment are called ketone salts. And there are a few different manufacturers who make, make those. Um, and that is BHB minus the negative ion coming with um, uh, some sort of positive ion like sodium or potassium or calcium are the most common ones out there at the moment. Um, and so they're either in like a powder form or a liquid form and um, you drink them and that raises your BHB. And there are a few from from just from my own experience working with them. The main issues that I see is that it's not dose responsive. So um, I published a, went to a conference and published an abstract that showed that um, if you double the dose of ketone salts, you only got sort of a, a, a small further increase in blood levels of BHB. As whereas with the ester, we were getting people from, we, hang on, I'll back up. I gave people the same amount of BHB as an ester, as an assault, uh, and a salt, accounting for the fact that there are two molecules of BHB with the ester. Um, and with the equivalent amounts of BHB with the ester, it was sort of like, say, one 1 1.5 millimole with the salt it was more like 0.8 millimole so already a little bit lower wow. and then when we double the dose of the ester we get up to 2.5 or 3 millimoles so it's pretty much double as whereas with the salt people getting from 0.8 to maybe like 1.1 1.2 and i mean this was sort of like 15 people so it was quite quite a you know reasonably sized study and some people might take them and get higher and, and some people might take them and have less success but right. one thing that i certainly an experience i had myself from taking these salts is that the high doses they run the real risk of giving you gastrointestinal upset and right. i actually was trying to run the experiment my run an experiment on other people and i thought i would join in and i ended up like dashing to the toilet every 20 minutes <laughs> and some people find the salts tolerable and i had, had actually taken that same dose of salt myself before and it had agreed with me fine so it just right. seems a little bit hit and miss and certainly as an athlete you don't want to risk that sort of thing right. happening in your training and competition for 1.1 millimolar bhb right. when you can take the ester and be up at three and, and not glued to a toilet yeah so, no i mean i think as a biohacker i've looked at some of the ketone salts that are available on the market and i think one thing that has steered me away from really looking at them as a serious tool to elevate my ketone levels is aside from the gi issues it's like the salt load. Like if you look at the back of the label, it's like like two yeah. grams of salt per yeah. dose, which is Again, like, like 100% of your 
daily recommended dose. It's yeah. a lot of sodium, a lot it of is, salt. It is a lot, but again, we go kind of back to what we're talking about, lactic acid. There's this massive controversy. When I was trying to write this up for my thesis, you end up reading reams and reams of papers by like one group of researchers that right. are like, dietary salt doesn't correlate with cardiovascular disease, and then right. you've got another group of researchers who really firmly believe that it is. And so, and then you start getting so subtle, like, does the person already have hypertension versus are they healthy? And right. like, for a healthy person, salt intake is like not that much. But like, it's a real can of worms. So, yeah, the salt load is probably really something that if you can avoid, you probably should. But right. there's no, I would kind of say that like the position is a bit unclear. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Except we had Gary Taubes, uh, yeah, on a previous episode, he mentioned that before he got into the fat sugar. Uh, was he battle. in the salt battle he, 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 his initial foray into nutrition was like hey let's look at the science around like yeah. high salt low salt recommend recommendations yeah, yeah. so i mean what, I think, what was his conclusion i'd be really interested um to i think he was basically how he's like he i mean i think he's made a career of being an iconoclast towards yeah. uh towards towards uh mainstream data right yeah. and i think like his thing was like salt you know, shouldn't necessarily be as demonized as... Perhaps, perhaps he's right, perhaps right. he's right. Um, and so I think we've we've all got to be uh, in a position where we can challenge things that we've been right. And so look at the data, end of the day, it's all looking at the data. Well, and just keep assessing things as it comes along. Right. And it's, it's like you mentioned there, the fat and sugar thing. And, you know, now paradigms are kind of shifting right. um, and people are kind of understanding that right. a low fat diet often means a high sugar diet, right. which often means bad for you. So, um, you know, We've got to be open to paradigm right. shifts. Salt has always been one of those things that's been demonized. Uh, and then you're like, oh, ketone salts, that might be bad because of the salt. And let's just, like, that is a legitimate concern based on the paradigm up until now. Right. But maybe maybe evidence will emer- kind of emerge that says that it's it, it would be neutral at least. And actually, um, sometimes when you follow, if you're using these salts as part of a ketogenic diet, sometimes there are minerals that you're lacking um, in your diet anyway that these ketone salts may helpfully provide so um you know there's that's an interesting right. an interesting angle on, on yeah. salts as a thing yeah and also potentially you could give different types of salt so you, um i heard a podcast recently you can where, blend like yeah, calcium, calcium sodium, and also and amino easier. acids as well some amino acids are negatively charged and so um, positive yeah yeah, yeah there's actually um it's actually been done once before in a study I, I spent like months looking for this paper and then i found it just by accident um they did a study in burns patients where they gave because um the patients were in septic shock they wanted to give them amino acids as well and they gave like a lysine um bhb okay. infusion as well but it's not that cert- the standard ketone salt is like sodium or potassium right. um, and a lot of the previous work on exogenous ketones sort of done in the early part of the century was done um using sodium or potassium okay. bhb interesting and i think a last point of difference because you mentioned how the ketone ester was isomerically pure I know that for most, for all the salts that they're racemic, meaning that there's a blend of D and L uh, forms of beta hydroxybutyrate within the salts. Yeah. And that's just because of the manufacturing process. Yes. Uh, you can you, purify them, but then they're um, prohibitively expensive. Even more expensive. Even than, more expensive than, than the ketone ester. It's like, you know, like 80 pounds for one right. gram if you buy it from a chemical company right. and you would need to take like 11 yeah. grams of it. So it just starts to get... So, have you looked into any data there of like racemic form? I know there's some open debate uh, with the thought leaders in ketones today around, oh, is the L form, the racemic form bad for you? Is it neutral for you? Does it does it work? Yeah. Do you have any, any thoughts on like the racemic debate? 
But we have some data that I'm hoping to publish in the future that might like add to that discussion. But I mean, I think what I'll say for now is that the research suggests that L-hydroxybutyrate can be metabolized in the body, but it is being metabolized differently. And so that's something that would need to be kind of considered if you're going to use a racemic mix. I mean, recently, like you said, the thought leader has been discussing it and said that a lot of the work that's been done in animal models um, suggests that L isn't harmful. And I know that Richard Veach from the NIH has kind of come out and said that he feels that the L form is harmful. But there's no there's no real compelling data either way. No one's died because of LBHB, and but at the same time, because it's difficult to measure, we haven't really been able to follow what's yeah. going is on. Is it actually and, is it actually like beneficial? And also, ton, tons and tons of the right. work that um, these people are referring to is done in like a really artificial animal model. So yep. a lot I've of read those done, papers, like yeah, those are old like, school papers yeah. on rats. Either like yeah. an isolated rat liver or like. Um, a like a newborn suckling rat and they're using tons and doing tons of cholesterol synthesis and doing right. like their metabolism is also really really different anyway right. so work more work needs to be done looking at um d and lbhb and the, its fate in humans before we can have a conclusive answer about whether right. it's um safe or harmful or neutral right. at this stage but my kind of personal feeling is that there's certainly differences between the two and they shouldn't be treated as equal right but what that means like the implications of that i i haven't explored Right, which we need to hopefully get more science and data around. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's all about we can have good hypotheses, but I think as experimentalists, like end of the day, data and, and results. Yeah, and I think that's... Know, um, should drive the theory. That's why at this stage, you certainly can't come out and say the L form is dangerous because so much uh, there is so much, much many experiments that have right. been done that have used it and there's been no like... Who haven't died from it. Yeah, and also there's some a really interesting series of papers that actually... Um, the English isn't great, but the data is interesting. They're from a group in in, in China that were looking at um, levels of D and L B H B in rat hearts in diabetes, mm -hmm. and um, so they found L B H B inside the hearts, which was kind of interesting. Huh. Firstly, so this is not exogenous. This is no, exogenously no, no. Created. So one thing that could be it could be a, a phenomenon is that L B H B actually occurs naturally inside the cells because it's a byproduct of like cholesterol synthesis and beta oxidation huh. and so it's some so it's actually got a function intracellularly and we just never looked at it as a circulating metabolite mm. because it's not being produced by the liver and released as an energy but it might have some sort of role intracellularly and they looked at the ratio of d to l inside these heart cells that were either diabetic or not diabetic and they saw differences in the ratio and mm. then they saw but that by correcting or like kind of playing with that ratio, they could alter glucose metabolism inside the hearts of these diabetics. I mean, like, this is a really, really fringe, 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 right. like, area. Um, and maybe the data is not that clear. Yeah, maybe, yeah, like, yeah. who knows? And, like, who knows if they're doing more with it and or if anyone else is... But it's kind of, I think, for me, it's like this little tidbit of kind right. of, maybe there's more to this story. But it's keto metabolism itself is um, has been pretty fringe up until maybe the last, like, 10 years when... Um, this ketoness has started to be developed and you know it's certainly something that in the medical community is perhaps a little bit understood and people kind of associate it with ketoacidosis and right. um, medics don't necessarily study nutrition in that much detail or biochemistry in that right. much detail because they have to cover so much ground yep. so um, I think it's a field that's kind of undergoing a bit of a renaissance and this is the sort of question that will be answered when exogenous ketones are more readily available and we have better technology for studying you know, doing the analysis of D and L hydroxybutyrate yeah. and where it's going in the body. 
Yeah, no, I think, I mean, clearly like a lot of different routes. I mean, I think for you personally moving forward, I mean, um, you know, what you're done with your PhD, like what do you want to do next? And also I think on a personal level, but I'm also curious, like where do you think is the most interesting science? Clearly, like we've talked about, you know, therapeutic routes. Yeah. Um, clearly a very interesting performance enhancement. Yeah. Making athletes perform better routes. Yeah. Um, clearly some basic biology to also to yeah. be to be resolved and figured out. Yeah. What ex- excites you most personally there? That's a two-part question. That's like, talking about what excites me most, I think all of those things that you kind of just listed, right. I find like really interesting and exciting and kind of like each one speaks to me from a different part of my own background. So like my background as a medic just really wants to see exogenous ketones being used in clinical trials for like the scourges of our society today. And I like, is it, are you going to give your grandma who's got Alzheimer's disease a ketone drink and is she going to improve? Like that's what I want to, that's what I want to know. And that's what I want people to be able to kind of like trial and see is, is that a thing, you know, is it um, the sort of thing that we're going to give to football players and they're going to see a decreased damage to their brains after concuss- concussive right. injury? Is is this a thing? Like right. at the moment, they're so at the moment we're kind of just at a stage where there's so much really good theory and like some good animal work as well. But a lot of this hasn't been done in humans yet. So right. there's just so many areas that are just like begging to be investigated clinically. Right. But then as an athlete as well, it's like, are we going to see someone break the two hour marathon on like ketones and carbs? Are right. we going to see like Ironman um, scores like come tumbling down when people right. are doing like, or, you know, are people going to go and like be able to like really push the boundaries of yep. like human performance? And then, and then is there going to be any pushback from like the, the athletic community in terms of whether or not this is like an unfair enhancement? Like that's like just another issue that we'll have to wait and see how it unfolds. But you know, at the moment it's just like you take caffeine or you load on carbs. That's all like nutrition um, that you manipulate to improve right. your performance and so what you know i kind of see a ketone ester as a nutritional kind of right. intervention at this stage anyway so that's you know another area that i'm really passionate about really interesting yeah, i mean the way well. yeah like, i agree right let's like ketones are like a dietary substrate or metabolic substrate just like glucose yes yeah, yeah so you're not going to stop people from carb loading are you so right. now ketones are available it'll be i think it'd be an interesting debate about whether that's like a thing as well yeah. so so in terms of the science, there's just lots to be done, and I right. don't think I could like pick a top area. I mean, because <laughs> all the, of it, the sport. Is I mean, the I sport. guess your career has been doing all of it. Yeah, so let's yeah. have you. I've never, I've never had to it. make a choice up until now, so right. I kind of just want to. I want to. I'm excited to see. I don't know which area I'll personally be involved in, um, but I'm sure that will kind of become apparent. Like the more, so long as I can stay involved with it, and right. I would, I would love to stay involved with the ketone project um at the moment i'm trying to decide whether or not i kind of go looking to take part in the tokyo olympics um that's a lot more trading and a lot of you know hours still sunk into that and so we're just sort of trying to let things settle and see whether how i feel about that and then potentially other options like looking at kind of carrying on like with the ketone project in the right. future as well so at the moment i'm doing a little bit of postdoctoral research carrying on with professor clark and uh, kind of we'll just see what happens over the next like year or so but I've got a real passion for it. and even if I take a little bit of time away or maybe like, I don't know go traveling for six months or something like <laughs> I love to travel I love to see new places and like meet new people so I've been pushing myself really hard for a long time maybe maybe a break would be all right as well but um, <laughs> I just I'm ready for ready for whatever comes next like the next challenge I think it's not it's to be to be decided awesome to be decided yeah no sounds like you've uh, many routes that are possible yeah i mean you know like maybe maybe i can like tap into the power of exogenous ketones and go and do some like extreme sports myself a bit more like what my dad did go and like (laughs) do the marathon de sable or like 
well, you know, what happens if you give break people... your own rule? I mean, break the record. Yeah, right? what, what happens if you give people keto nester and take them up Everest or something like that? You know, there's so many. That's interesting. So many places in the world that you could take this. And I personally like... want to be. I want to do an experiment where I just because I've I've done pretty extended fast. What if I just eat keto nesters yeah. for three days straight? I think you'd miss food by the end. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been here visiting Nutribox. I did my first thirty-six hour fast, and yeah. like you stop missing food by the end of the day. But like. This food is nice. It is nice. Like you, like I think the dopamine hit of food is definitely something that is like pleasurable. But doing the fast, it kind of made me realize you like you only need to eat when you need when your body needs right. to eat, not when society tells you that. Yeah, you need it's to resetting eat. So, like, like frame. resets a lot of things right. for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting. A really interesting community yeah. to kind of be part of uh, that I'd not really like. Yeah. There's just there's just so much to do, so many people <laughs> to talk to, and so much to do. So right. I'm really excited to. Well, I think whatever comes up will be really exciting. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, anything else I want to bring up at this point? I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground. A lot of ground. I mean, I, like, I know that a lot of our listeners will want to ask more particular questions. So I'm going to invite our listeners to shoot us an email, you know, care at nutribox.com or our, our social handles to uh, drop a note that we can pass on to Dr. Brianna here. I, I'm, I'm sure you, you'd be open to uh, ask, uh, communicating. I'm sure you also have a handle at on Twitter, yeah. How how can people find you? Um, I'm at Brianna Stubbs on Twitter, so it's easy to find me. Yeah, so tweet at tweet questions at her. I'm I'm sure she'd love to answer questions both on her, on on keto on the science behind ketones and her research, as well as if if there's aspiring rowers out there, I'm sure she has some some tricks there. Yeah. <laughs> um, until then, I'm sure we'll have you probably back on at some point. So I'd love I, I, to. I mean, Thank this you. is a fun conversation, and I think one that's. Uh, definitely a, a different different conversation from more of the scientists, writers, uh, folks you know that, that have been on the on, on the show since. I think the athletic edge is it's just super interesting. So we'd love to have more folks in the athletic world join us. Yeah. Um, but find us on YouTube, on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Um, until then, see you next time. I'll give you the last word. Thanks all very much for having me. I've had a good time here at Nutribox. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.